Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number Wayne Gretzky, episode number Aaron Judge, episode number Jason Taylor, number 99, I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. How weird is that? Saying episode number 99. Looking back upon it now, we've been doing this for two years, we're getting ready to start year number three. How weird is that? 99 episodes. I don't know that it's weird because it's not like we ever anticipated stopping this is true. at any point. And this is true. Lord knows we have enough Disney movies to keep us going for quite a while. But it does feel weird. It, it feels like it came up fast. Yeah. And yet at the same time, it feels like we've been doing this forever. Yeah. It, it's kind of weird. I, you know what I think because looking back upon episode number one, and for you and I personally, there was so much build up to that. We remember it so vividly and so fondly that it seems like it was just yesterday, but we acknowledge the fact that it was a while ago. Right. Or like some films we'll talk about all the time, like we'll compare everything to Mary Poppins because it's brilliant. Right. So it doesn't feel like we did that so long ago but then when you look at the actual episode number it's like oh that was only way back in like the what the 30s I something think something like that yeah something like that but and I mean with all the bonus content that we've done too technically it is over a hundred episodes but I personally don't count the interviews because it's not like we're sitting there watching a movie two and three times. It's actually less time, I feel, to prep for an interview than it is to prep to review a whole film. And that's yeah. not to... Yeah, that's it's not, not a proper episode. It's, it's bonus. Right. And that's not to say that we don't put a lot of time in the interviews, but like when we land somebody like Dan Lanigan, I have a million questions that I want to ask. It's just a matter of narrowing it down to what I can do in the time that we're given. And we are excited for next uh, next week, episode number 100. We're doing something unique. We're doing something fun. We're doing something a little different. And we're doing it with two people that are very special to Jackie and I. We're just going to go ahead and leave that there. But before we get to episode number 100, we have to get through episode number 99. And if you would have told me that the <laughs> 99th episode of Monoreal Radio as we head into this historic milestone would have been the cat from outer space, I would have said, you are outside of your mind. And yet here we are. Agreed. But I kind of like that this makes the top 100. Haven't done Peter Pan yet, but gosh <laughs> darn. Cat from, <laughs> outer space. from outer space made it. And this is, you know what though? I, I'm glad. In a way, I'm glad that this is episode number 99 because part of our motivation behind doing Disney Plus Roulette once a month was so that we could land on movies like this. Because we would never really independently sit there and say, you know what movie we have to talk about? The Cat from Outer Space. And thank you to our listener, Josh Rains, for nominating... Well, he gave us some numbers, and uh, this is sort of how... This is how the dice 
rolled. This is how the numbers fell. I don't know what else you want me to tell you. Random well, casino reference. I do. Josh, explain yourself. Were these random numbers or did you set us up here? I, I would imagine that they're random numbers. Because, uh, not that anybody's going to sit there and do the math, but let me explain how all of this happens. I messed up. Yep. Admittedly, I messed up. As you guys who have been with us for a while know, and for those who are new, welcome. We basically open up the Disney Plus movie menu, but we select all movies. And we have our listeners nominate two random numbers. The number of tiles that we move down and the number of tiles that we move over to the right. And whatever number that is, it's it's like playing Battleship. Right. And here's where I screwed up. The Disney Plus catalog contains over 7,000 titles. However, that includes what I didn't realize at the time, each and every episode of television. They're just trying to make it sound like they have more. So in other words, they're counting every individual episode of Boy Meets World that there ever was. Right. And the Mickey Mouse Club that there ever was. So in my mind... I divided 7,000 by the four columns and figured that's how many rows we were going down. <laughs> that was wrong. Well, we found out as of <laughs> as of this week, there are 163 rows of movies. Now, this changes all of the time. Because right. they keep Anytime adding content. they add a new title, everything shifts. Everything shifts, and eventually another row gets added. So what happened was we exceeded, Josh, Josh's numbers exceeded the amount of tiles. So we I said between one and 500. So think, which about was it, wrong. think about it like the NFL draft or the NHL draft. You might have the number 33 pick in the draft, but you have pick one of round two because you start all over again. And that's how we did this. And that's how we ended up on the cat from outer space. It is noteworthy to say, before I get into the plot here, that this movie is from 1978. This is a year after Star Wars came out. I just want to leave that there. And I want you to know that for when we actually start reviewing not only the plot, but when we eventually get to the special effects in this movie. I wanted to throw that out there. The movie starts when an alien cat, who is later named Jake, lands on a farm on Earth, and a farmer calls in the authorities when he sees the spaceship, and while Jake escapes the military, his ship doesn't. So he sneaks onto an army vehicle anyway to follow his ship back to the military base. On the base, none of the scientists that the military have brought in can figure out whose ship it is or how it works, so they call upon new colleague Frank Wilson for help, but they don't believe his theories either, even though, in retrospect, he's completely correct about everything that he is saying. Meanwhile, Mr. Stallwood, who also works on the base double-crosses his colleagues after they assume that he has nothing to contribute because he just wants to give his hypothesis as well. And he calls Charlie Olympus, a criminal mastermind who he works for undercover on the side. 
Back in his lab after the failed meeting, Frank and his colleague Liz arrange a dinner to discuss their research, and there's kind of a little thing going on between them as well. And he also sees that Jake the cat is in the lab. And he realizes that Jake is speaking to him and that he can talk to him through thought transports which was Disney's creative way of saying we don't have the technology to make the mouth move on the animal, Um, (laughs) which is the truth. And basically, Jake tells Frank about the technology that his planet develops and how he has to get home to his planet. He offers to help Frank and his research in exchange for Frank's help getting home. He also shows Frank how his collar works, because he's got this collar that he wears around his neck. And its I'm not going to say it's magic, but it's basically how he uses everything through telepathy or whatever it is you want to call it, because he manipulates everything with his mind. Back at their apartment, or back at his apartment, I should say, Frank is with Jake, and Liz arrives for dinner with her cat, Lucy Bell. And in order to throw her off, because... They're trying to now get him back to his home planet. Jake fakes being sick, and he and Frank sneak on the base to repair his ship. But they realize that they need a large amount of gold to repair the ship. And all the while, Stallwood watches from a distance. The military attempts to apprehend them, but thanks to Jake's collar, he and Frank fly away on a motorcycle and head home to realize... That, after many calculations, Jake needs $120,000 worth of gold to repair his ship. Not soon after, colleague and neighbor Dr. Link arrives unannounced to watch TV and keep track of his bets. He and I would get together and get along very well, mind you. So, as he's there and he's smoking his cigars and drinking his beers and he's betting on two cockroaches running across the floor, this guy will bet on anything. (laughs) Jake realizes that he can use his powers and his collar to dictate the end of games, horse races, etc. And they can parlay the money to win enough to buy the gold that they need. Back at the base, the military pulls fingerprints off of Jake's ship and they realize that Frank is helping him. And they set off to apprehend him. Liz arrives at Frank's to see that Jake is still sick, so she grabs Dr. Winger a vet and one of their neighbors for help. And when Liz tries to remove Jake's collar, Jake fights back. So Winger injects him with a sedative. Now, everything that they had planned, everything that he was doing to manipulate the outcome of these games is now out the window because he is unconscious. So Frank and Link, along with Liz, head to Ernie's Billiard Hall to cancel the bet that they had made since Jake is unconscious. And instead, they set up a wager in a game of pool between Liz and Sarasota Slim, who is a hustler. And they know that there's almost no way she's going to be able to beat him. Meanwhile, Stallwood shows Olympus some footage that he had shot of Link and Frank and Jake together. And Olympus realizes that they can use Jake's collar for financial gain, and they set off to apprehend them as well. So now they've got the criminal mastermind coming after them, and they have the military coming after them. Frank, Link, and Liz, along with Jake, 
um, are able to buy the gold that they need after Jake regains consciousness and dictates the outcome of a billiards game. But after they buy the gold, they are interrupted by the military. Jake freezes the military. This is this is, all happens in this movie. Jake freezes the military with his collar for 20 minutes to buy them time to escape. Frank and Jake get away, but Link, Liz, and Lucy Bell are captured by Olympus and are held hostage in exchange for Jake's collar at an old airfield. The criminals attempt to escape with Liz on a helicopter after Frank and Jake arrive, so Frank and Jake then pursue them on a broken-down plane that, surprise, surprise, Jake has gotten off the ground using the collar as, uh, you know, his powers. It's, he's now gotten this thing that should never fly to somehow work. The criminals abandon their ship and jump off of the helicopter as they see that they're going to be caught anyway, leaving Liz and Lucy Bell to be by themselves on a helicopter with no pilot. But Frank and Jake are able to rescue them. Jake is then granted immunity by, yes, the President of the United States as a friendly power, and he then becomes an American citizen and stays on Earth. Who's starting off? You or me? Uh, I, I will say this. I kind of wish, because we had never seen this, we had never even heard of this going in. No, I'd heard of it. I'd just never seen it. Oh, I hadn't. Um, but I wish, because this is a rare first viewing for both of us, that we had maybe done a watch party. Because I feel like our reactions <laughs> and the reactions of our friends Friends and listeners would have been priceless, and we can never have this first-time viewing experience again. Um, but I will say there were parts of it that were as bad as I expected it to be, and there were parts that I was actually pleasantly surprised by. And I think it would have been a fun experience to watch in a group because there are so many unexpected things that happen. There are. The movie starts with a little card wishing Mickey Mouse a happy 50th birthday, which and I this found... this was his present? And this was his gift, apparently. Mickey deserves so much better. Well, uh, this was not as bad as Mickey 90. Mickey doesn't get good birthday gifts. That's my conclusion. It's not fair for somebody who gives so much to not be able to receive... You guys can go hear our review of Mickey 90. That was somewhere within the first 15 or so episodes of Monorail Radio. Maybe even the first 10. No, no first 15. It's first a, 15, you're right. Spoiler alert. We were out in California going to Disneyland for the first time, and it actually ended our night early so that we could get back to our Airbnb to watch Mickey 90. That was dumb. In retrospect, that was a mistake. It was this, a lame I party. think, was probably a better gift, I think. It was unique. It starts off like something that you'd see in a 50s sci-fi movie. There, there was this little trope. And like off the top of my head, you had the blob. And then later in the 80s, done as kind of a satire, you had killer clowns from outer space, mm -hmm. where you've got... A farmer in the middle of the night that hears an explosion, 
and goes, what in tarnation? And goes outside <laughs> and finds a spaceship with their dog. It happens here. It's 1978. It's fine. The setup is fine. You needed somebody to call the military in. But it's kind of a trope of these sci-fi double feature chiller thriller drive-in movie things that that you have seen so many times over and here's the thing ron miller at the time is president of the walt disney company and i know that they say that imitation can always be a great uh compliment to prior work and I'm not sure if Ron Miller was trying to make a satire or if he was trying to make a serious film based on movies he grew up watching Mm -hmm. but that within itself is kind of a problem because the movie is very silly from the jump and I don't know whether they're trying to take it seriously or not. I actually think that they were because most of the films that I went to compare it to were shockingly made after this came out. Um, like the first one, for instance, I was thinking of when you mentioned the spaceship landing at the farm. I immediately thought Back to the Future. Yeah. But that came way after this. Yep. Um, but it definitely feels familiar and not just in the tropey sense of it, but this does take place on the now defunct Disney backlot, uh, which is now a parking lot at the Burbank studios. Um, so you do see the farmhouse, you do see the bridge. Um, immediately I recognized it as being part of the song of the South set. Um, but I'm sure they used it in a, ton of other films i'm sure they used it in zorro on television you know i'm sure it popped up all over the place right but it's it's definitely recognizable it feels familiar and to me what i was expecting from this point was almost like a lilo and stitch kind of a story i thought we were going to have a kid on the farm befriend the cat and start treating it like a pet and try to hide its crazy alien powers. Right. I kind of like that they went straight for reporting it to the government. Because if you found a UFO, you'd probably call the government in. This is true. But then it it kind of twists again where you're not expecting it because now it becomes about duping the government and keeping him away. Um which then just on dialogue alone once they call in the general and sergeant and lieutenant or whatever down the line, uh, it reminded me of Airplane. Yeah. And I couldn't tell, like you said, if the dialogue was supposed to be serious or a joke, but Airplane came two years after this. So I was kind of shocked that this was original. And then I really, I still don't know what to make of it if I was supposed to find that funny or not. I didn't, It's so dated from the start of the movie. Other than the fact that it feels like something from the 1950s, which is kind of fun now, But remember how I pointed out, you know, 10 minutes ago that this came out a year after Star Wars did? Mm -hmm. Not really a good look because people are still... I think Star Wars was probably still in theaters when this was released. Probably. 
Because that movie ran for like a solid year. So if you go see Star Wars, and then you went and saw that cat from outer space, and you didn't know whether it was a goof or not, it's not really a very good look for the company. So it has that outdated feel from the jump, and it has been made worse as the years have gone on. Without delving too much into the characters, we'll do that in a few moments. You brought up the general, sergeant, lieutenant, captain, the soldiers, all of them in this film, are such a stereotype of soldiers from 50s sci-fi B-movies. Oh my god. We're in trouble. <laughs> that green creature could be storming the White House. <laughs> Everything is over the top. Everything is overacted. It's doom and gloom. But it, it like checks the boxes for everything that you're supposed to say in that moment. It's bad screenwriting. This doesn't seem like the screenwriter did research at all or, or spent any time other than watching other films of the genre yep. to write this dialogue. Not to mention, the movie is now, as it's over 40 years old, at the time of this recording, 40, 42 years old to be exact, they sit there and go, they're looking at the UFO. I don't see the hammer and sickle, sir. It can't be the <laughs> Russians. I actually found that funny. It's f see, but it's funny. We were we're we're of an age, and there are a lot of people out there that don't remember when they were still called the Soviet Union. Right. I, I remember, like in kindergarten, they were the Soviet Union. So as you've seen, like as time has gone on, you laugh at it now because. It's kind of become a trope of the Cold War, of the films of the Cold War. And every time there was a conspiracy for so long, it was, it must be the Russians. So it's almost become like a goof on its own. Mm -hmm. So it's funny hearing it now, but I don't think it was meant to be a joke when they made the movie. So it really dates it badly. It's also... It's just every line out of the general's mouth. I think that's part of it, too. It was the delivery of it because your other favorite line is in, like, the same sentence when he's when he says, they're reporting the cat. Oh, when they say, uh, no. When or he not says, the cat. They don't know it's a cat yet, but they report the spaceship. And he goes, get the IQs off the tennis courts. Like, what? That was his way of saying, I need scientists. <laughs> get them IQs off the tennis courts. Because, because, <laughs> because damn they be smart scientists. I don't take them seriously. So get them off the tennis courts and put them to work. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. And how many times did he had to tell us big, big trouble? Oh, man. Big, big trouble. It's Well, I, I mean, that's it. To me, it's like equal parts brilliant and bad. Because if you don't take him seriously, he's a really fun character. 
if you yeah. are looking at him as wow, he really missed the mark, then it's it's bad throughout. And I, I had that exper- I had both experiences both times watching it. The first time we went through, I was like, this guy is ridiculous. He's overacting. I can't get into this character. And I really didn't know what to make of him. And then the second time when I was sort of like in on the joke, it was hilarious. Yeah. When they finally get them all off the tennis courts and into a room, <laughs> first, let's talk about how long it takes to intro literally every scientist in the room. And yet there are no transitions. There is absolutely zero segue into the scene. It just happens. And then they spend like 40 minutes introducing everyone. Does, does it not totally kill the pacing of the movie? Absolutely. And and one of these uh, actors voiced Captain Hook and George Darling, and we yep. actually get to see him on screen. And that doesn't even doesn't raise the bar on this scene at all. Do it for you. No. Or when Stilton, um, he'll, he'll look at a scientist and go, what's your hypothesis? Meanwhile, all they showed them was a piece of technology they took off the ship. It's like a prism. And right. they keep calling it the, the artichoke. Uh, the artichoke. So they they pull, they literally like pull the box open and show it to them. And By the way, what artichoke do you know that looks like that? I, I don't mean, know. in silhouette, yes, but artichokes are are layered. Yeah, I, I don't know where they got artichoke from. It it didn't make any sense it to me. It looks more like an avocado to me. Yeah, I don't know I don't know where they got that from, but they kept calling it the artichoke. And you know, he, he, he pulls the lid off that says top secret all over it <laughs> because we didn't know. And again, now there's like 30 people in the room. It's and such a big secret. He pulls it off. And within about three seconds, he points at somebody and goes, what's your hypothesis? What's your vector, Victor? Yeah. And go. And, and basically all they had to say was, well, we ran it through a computer. Wrong. We did that already. What's your hypothesis? Well, in looking at it, tried that. What's yours? Like, he gave them no time to think of an answer or even stew over it. It was like, give me my answer now at this thing you've never seen and know nothing about. See, and that's where I'm so confused if this is serious or a joke or not, because I don't know if it's that the character is supposed to be funny, that he doesn't know what a hypothesis is, which is just an educated guess, or if the screenwriter doesn't know what a hypothesis is and is using this completely wrong. I don't know. That that's I'm so, I don't know. Honestly, the first time that we watched this, I didn't even really pick up on that because the the actor uh, George Banks, Captain Hook, his name is Doctor Heffel in this, and I just kept calling him Doctor Heffelump. Yeah, which is also completely distracting. But again, and he's weaving out in and out of like twenty five to thirty people in this room. Yeah. It- <laughs> I just, I didn't, I could, I don't know what to make. I've now watched this movie a few times this week and I still don't know what to make of it, which is going to be a problem because I have to, I have to give this movie a review like in the next half hour. Exactly. Yeah, no, I don't know what my final synopsis of it is either. I'm hoping to land on it by the time we've talked through this. I feel like as we kind of dissect this artichoke a little bit, we're going to like. Artichoke, good one. I feel like some things are going to start being clear and opening up or or they just won't. <laughs> I think this scene would have been more effective if there was like three to five people 
honestly. Yeah. And it, it first of all, it would feel like more of a secret, but this is where you develop character a little bit. And for a scene that drags the way it does, I really don't feel like we got anything out of it. Here's what the here's what it does accomplish other than killing the pace of the movie, because at times the pacing in this movie is actually quite good. But when it's bad, it's atrocious. This is one of those scenes where it's atrocious. If they could have condensed it a little bit to your point, you're starting to they're starting to flesh out Stilton a lot more. And and you're seeing he doesn't like the scientists. He's fed up with them. He wants answers. He's way too by the book. That gets accomplished. You start to see that Liz has an affinity for Frank and vice versa. This all starts to flesh itself out. But unfortunately, everything else that happens drags on. Oh, you, you see Link is a degenerate gambler. So that, that all happens in this scene. But the problem is there's so much other garbage going on mm. that you get completely convoluted. It's actually a really good scene for Stallwood, who's played by Roddy McDowell, because all this guy is trying to do is be a part of the conversation and say, but I have something to contribute. So the minute they throw him out because they don't take him seriously, you can see that's his motivation to backstab them and to turn on them and to work with this criminal mastermind Olympus. Like, a lot happens here that gets lost because of how bad when they when they made a mistake they really loused it up is my point. Right. No, they definitely did a good job of introducing that plot point albeit they could have gotten to it much faster, but they to me they really missed the mark on developing Liz because we're going to see the flirtation in the next scene. We don't need that yet. We need to know who she is because they ask her for her hypothesis, as they do everyone, but she gives an answer, and I don't know if when the general shoots her down, it's because she's not intelligent, if it's because she's the only woman in the room, or no, there's there's like two females in there, but, you I know. she's the only one that speaks up, though. It, yes, and that's why I'm not sure if we're supposed to be sympathetic to that the entire time. Like if she's not respected and trying to earn it and you can't really tell because the general treats everyone like that and just shoots down everyone ideas, everyone's ideas. So like, I just wish we would have gotten a little bit more out of her as to where she's at before we start introducing the flirtation, which by the way is done very badly in the next scene. When we go into the lab where Frank meets Jake for the first time and Liz comes in to basically yell at Frank for making her look foolish because of a mayonnaise joke he made to the general and very much upset her because it made her look bad. Well, she recommended him to come in. Right. But it's like, you know, if you like him, this isn't like even some kind of sarcastic fight like where she came in and she was like, mayonnaise, really? She comes in... Guns blazing, not really, and bites his head off, and he's clueless as to why she's mad. And, like, very slow on the uptake, but he likes her too, and then he becomes genuinely upset that she's now mad at him. Right. So it does establish that they both like each other, but I just feel like... 
neither one really pursues the other. It, it, it's just very confusing. It it falls together sort of out of dumb luck and convenience. Yes. They carpool together with Link because they all live in the same apartment building. And let's have dinner. I mean, I get it. It's supposed to feel clunky. But at this point, too, Liz hasn't really given us any reasons as to why Frank would like her. Right. And she says, oh, it's nothing against Ken Berry. We'll talk about him in a few minutes. He plays he plays Frank. She introduces him to the general as, oh, he's a brilliant young uh, physicist. It's very clear that there there is an age gap between the two of them. And I have to say it's, it's of no less than 15 years. I think you just hit it, too, is that she's playing it like a little girl with a crush, almost like a schoolgirl crush. And you're not expecting him to reciprocate that right away. Like you would think he's the brilliant mind who doesn't have time for her. And that's right. where it's clunky. They don't they don't give us anything to invest in, really, to hope that she gets the guy or that he right. gets the girl. Or like think about somebody that is like so invested in their craft, like Dr. Emmett Brown. And he doesn't he doesn't see the love yes. interest right in front of his face in the third movie with Clara Clayton and it very much needs to be spelled out for him. That's kind of what I thought was going to happen here. Especially because they've made such a point of saying that he's on loan from Caltech. So you get the impression he's not going to be there for that long. Right. And, and he's, it's just another job for him. And part of his, part of the drama of the film is I'm getting ready to go back to Caltech, but Oh no, wait, now I have Liz None of that ever gets fleshed out. And I think the problem is that they jumped into it so quickly without really developing the characters any further. Mm -hmm. It feels very clunky, and that's why it feels like it's very much out of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, it is supposed to feel clunky, but, like, I would rather something awkward and embarrassing happen to, to the one who's crushing... And then, you know, they have to win them over in the end. Like, we don't we don't get the boy meets girl story here. For example, when he makes his cup of coffee, he's got a mouse on a wheel. Very Dr. Brown. Right. Or I guess very Dr. I was thinking of. But I guess they kind of because those movies came out later, maybe they took a little influence from Frank. I don't know. And they just did it better. But the point is. He offers her a cup of coffee and the mouse is the one that makes it. It's not actually him. That's the opportunity for him to offer it. And the mouse goes crazy and they spray milk and coffee all over the place and they get her, you know, she's got to walk around the rest of the day with her clothes stained with coffee. Right. And then it's like, let me buy you dinner, make it up to you. That doesn't happen. See, we just fixed it. Exactly. And God, we spent a lot of time on this. I know. I know. Oh. I want to talk about something else that really makes the movie feel dated. It, is it in this scene or are we moving on? We're moving on. If you okay. still have something in no, this scene. No, no. Okay. Go, go, please. Not that I am, of course, offended by this by any stretch of the imagination, but the amount of beer drinking and cigar smoking that happens with Link specifically is not something you would see in a Disney movie nowadays. Okay. 
we're going to talk about Link when we do the characters, but I, I have to say, because it does contribute to the story, he's the worst. He's like the <laughs> he's rudest really person ever. Just barges in unannounced. And I get it. Like, if that's, you know, like your buddy at his bachelor pad, then it's kind of just like, oh, come on over. Grab a beer from the fridge. But he's, he's such a mooch. It's terrible. And with the cigar smoking, with the beer drinking, the gambling, the Yankees had his, his clothes are always dirty. And then you have Frank, who's very neat and put together. It feels like Oscar and Felix from The Odd Couple. Like It's actually almost the exact same thing. Except The Odd Couple did it really well. And this, not so much. I will say, though, once they get going, they do have a very good rapport. Like, oh, yeah. when Frank is trying to kick him out of the apartment because he realizes, like, now now he's invested in Jake. He, he realizes this is all true. And Link is their first obstacle. He's trying to get him out of the apartment. I totally buy their back and forth. I, I think they actually, the two actors did really well playing off of each other. They played off of each other very well. I like the dialogue between them. And throughout the entire movie, I really like the dialogue between Frank and Jake. Totally. You want to talk about something that seems believable because not only can they match each other in terms of their intelligence, but the dialogue between them is very funny because they're both bachelors. So mm. they kind of have a lot of like little tongue-in-cheek jokes and moments. Like when Jake talks about seeing Lucy Bell... And he's like, you're not the one that's been confined to a spaceship for five months. It's it's very genuine, friendly, funny conversation. Yeah, and that's where it does really work as a buddy movie. So not that I want to keep bringing up this scene, but it's like as far as having a love interest, that doesn't have to be the bread and butter of the story, but because you chose to incorporate it, it just needed to be done better. And I think that's also where this movie struggles is, is it trying to dip its toes into the romantic comedy water with the two of them? Or is it supposed to be the buddy movie? You can't have both in equal measure. And that that's going to clash throughout the rest of the story. Yeah. And is it a sci-fi movie? You know, like what the movie, it, it just never really gets clearly defined as to what it is supposed to be. And we're sitting here now, and I still don't know if it's a satire or not. <laughs> I would definitely classify it as a sci-fi. Um, and I think the all of their scientific reasoning, to me, is believable. Like, I think, you know, talking about Jake's telepathy, I agree with you. I think that was a budgetary choice to... A, not go animatronic, or B, they didn't have the computer technology yet to make the cat's mouth move. But the explanation that they give, I think, is believable, that it's all through the collar, and that Frank is an unconventional theorist who believes that, you know, sound waves and energy waves can all work together. So in the context of Jake using his collar to communicate, I think that definitely works, and I, I think it's believable as a sci-fi. However, there are certain things that happen, like, for example, when he freezes people, which happens probably like four or five times throughout the film. 
to me, that starts to feel more magic than sci-fi. And I don't really like that because I think that was a convenient device to try and get them out of a sticky situation. Agreed. I also don't know in a movie now that Disney puts out that is geared towards families and children that you will see them betting and gambling and manipulating the outcomes to win money. I don't care. It's fine for the movie, but I don't think I can state, and maybe I'm giving this part away in my review, how dated the movie feels when they do that. What I don't like about that, too, is that most of it happens through the television. I feel like this would have been so much more exciting if Jake was using his power. I don't want to say powers because, again, that's magic, but if he was using his energy at a live event. And I get, again, I think that has a lot to do with budget more than anything else, because were they really going to go to Santa Anita during a horse race and film this? No, No. I highly doubt it. Were they really going to go to a Lakers game? No. So that kind of falls flat to see that happen over television. And I think it's also defeating the sci-fi element that you are able to have that much of a reach to make things happen seated in the comfort of your home um but it does kind of come full circle because it works later on in one of the funnier scenes of the movie where this entire time frank has been saying jake is sick and he keeps using that as an excuse to break his date with liz so she brings in a vet for help and then jake ends up being sedated as a result of that so in that regard that whole scene works to foil jake and as far as being at home watching the television and trying to make something happen, they do kind of balance it out and make it work. They do. The only issue up to that point is he manipulates the end of the second football game to put them ahead when it comes to winning their bet. It's two of three. It's two of three. But he didn't do anything to change the outcome of the first game. And they make sure to tell you that he didn't. Right. So I feel like it's sort of just waters down his role in the entire thing. Maybe that's the lesson here is that you win some, you lose some and gambling is bad. That's subjective. I mean, you do win some, you lose some. I'm not saying gambling is bad. I'm saying that be, that may be the message that they were trying to convey. Well, then they shouldn't have made a movie (laughs) where they were trying to cheat at gambling to send a cat back to outer space. Well, That's another point I want to make. I actually really do like the idea that the spaceship is powered by gold because you really raise the stakes with that one because that's something that is, as an average human, hard to obtain. Yeah. Unless you're going to pay, in this case, $120,000 to get that amount of gold. So I thought that that was really clever. But by the time they actually achieve the gold. They do this again by, instead of betting through the television, they go to a pool hall and they just increase their odds and they they place a bet against the hustler. Right. And Jake is sedated through this entire scene, so it, it's really 
all up to link Liz and Frank and they're trying to use his collar. But this scene goes on for about 20 minutes. And in my opinion, they could have instead either robbed a jewelry store or a bank in the time that it took to win this bet. And it might have been more exciting if this turned into a heist movie. Yeah, it could have been. But I don't think they wanted to have their leads stealing. They'll cheat. And they'll gamble. And they'll gamble. (laughs) And smoke. And smoke and drink. But that was one step too far. That okay. was one step too far. And the scene, Got it. You could have accomplished in this scene in five minutes what you tried to accomplish in 20. Um, so I, re- I very much agree with you there. But you know what's funny? They have to draw a line. They won't make them rob the bank. Okay, they'll gamble. They'll drink. And then... When the government finally catches up to them, because they've been, you know, the general's been trailing them the entire time, they bust into Frank's apartment wielding pistols. Yep. Aimed at everybody. But I just... So that's not too much. But pistols, really? Well, I... I, And it looks like... You know what it is? I'm only realizing this now. It's not an accurate pistol. It looks like something John Wayne would have carried. And I think that's why... I don't buy it for a second. Yeah, it doesn't look like a military weapon. It looks like somebody that you'd see either in the Wild West or you'd see somebody like stick up a bank in a movie with it. Exactly. I also, just circle back around just to the last scene or the last few scenes before we move on here. I love how no matter what it was, the bet that they were placing, somehow, some way, it didn't matter whether they were putting the $300 or the $1,500 that Link had Somehow, some way, through movie magic, the payout was always going to be the exact <laughs> amount of money that they needed to buy the gold and put the $1,500 in Link's pocket. I also love how they get handed $120,000 in cash. No questions asked. And are able to go and obtain a gold brick within minutes. No questions asked. That's what I'm saying. A heist would have been so much more exciting. What I do really like about that scene, though, the hokey writing actually works in its favor when they're introducing the characters that are hanging out at the pool hall. Like, um, what's the guy that Honest holds Harry. money? Honest Harry. I love me some Honest Harry. Yeah. How could you not trust a guy with a name like Honest Harry? And um, the other one that they're playing against is Slim. Yeah, uh, Sarasota Slim. You know, I keep wanting not, to say... Not at all like Minnesota Fats from The Hustler, right? They clearly didn't rip off that name. Exactly. Um, but to me, that's where the hokey writing wins in this scene. And that is obviously meant for comedic effect. Um, let's get, you want to go to the end of the movie here? Uh, I think so, right? Yeah, I really don't have too much Neither do I. This, the end of this movie is 20 minutes too long. There's no reason why this movie should have a runtime of an hour and 45 minutes. You could have easily cut 20 minutes out of it. Just off the ending. Yeah. Because for a movie that in, in spite of its flaws, at this point has been fairly entertaining. I don't know whether it's entertaining because it's actually good or whether it's entertaining because you just can't help but laugh at it. The end of the movie drags on for so long with Frank 
and Jake in the broken down plane and Stallwood and Olympus and Liz and Lucy Bell because why is Lucy Bell still with her? I don't know, but they took the cat hostage. I guess Jake had to get his lady out of trouble, I suppose. This goes on and on and on and on and on. It never ends. When they got to that point in the movie, I'm looking at the runtime and I'm like, there has to be a glitch on Disney+. Plus. There's no way there's 20 minutes left. I, oh, no, there was 20 minutes left, whether it was necessary or not. There was 20 minutes left. I remember when we watched it yesterday, we got through the final bet scene where they acquire all of the money, and I'm thinking there's like maybe 10 minutes left in the movie, and Walt had to go, our dog had to go outside and do his business. So we paused it. And then it said 25 minutes were left. And I was like, are you kidding me? I was shocked. Yeah, th th the third act should not be 25 minutes if it's only going to be one scene. And by the way, what was it with Ron Miller's penchant for doing these extravagant air chases? I don't know. Because what was a big surprise to me was... This is almost the same ending as Escape from Witch Mountain. Yeah, it, it basically. To the point where if you showed me a scene from either movie, I don't know that I could tell the two of them apart. No, and what's really odd is how many other parallels there are, is that it is a supernatural thing, and they are trying to get back to outer space. I will say, though, one of my biggest gripes with Escape from Witch Mountain was that I didn't like how... Uh, the little girl whose name I forget by this point. Um, the one with the star case. Yes. She kept having these visions of telepathy. Flashbacks. Yeah. And um, that's what they used to move the story forward. And I was like, I don't, I don't really buy into this. I think it's just convenient that she always just knows where to go. So I think as far as using the outer space theme again, I think this movie did it a lot better. Yes. Um, I think... If I remember correctly, I think I disliked Witch Mountain less than you did. But yeah. I would agree with you. I think that certain elements of this movie were better than things that they did in Witch Mountain. That's not doesn't really say a lot about Witch <laughs> Mountain, but yes, there were some things that they did better. You never get closure with the villains here. They jump out of the helicopter and their parachutes get entangled in trees hanging over a cliff. You never see them get arrested. You they don't never see them cut get themselves arrested. down. In the fact, tree when he bench tries, doesn't break. There's not they, a bear clawing at them. There's and, nothing. And when Roddy McDowell tries to cut them down, Olympus slaps the knife out of his hand so that they can continue to just hang there. Well, if he were to cut them down, they would have fallen. I understand that, but they, they, there's no closure. They're just kind of there. Yeah, I would have even been okay if they started sort of swinging themselves to eventually, you know, swing back in the direction of the tree and grab on so that they could climb down. And then if they just, you know, pulled out of it and cut out of that scene i would have been fine with that just so we know they're getting away with it yeah a la pirates of the caribbean yeah when they were in those uh... uh the human cages yes exactly exactly if if 
even if they didn't get their comeuppance, I would have been okay so long as they were not just left hanging there. And then Jake becomes an American citizen and makes a judge fly. The end. I really wish we had gotten like a great cameo for the judge or they got a, a really name actor to play the president of the United States pardoning him. I wish we would have seen the pardon instead of the judge swearing him in. Yeah. Because the pardon happens over the phone. Over it's kind of meh. Yeah, over, over the phone with the general. Uh, do you have anything else here on the story or script before we talk about the cast? Nope. Okay. Let's start with our with our lead. Let's start with our leading man, Frank Wilson, played by the incredible Ken Berry. I love Ken Berry. I love him in everything that he's in. I grew up watching F Troop with my dad. He played Parmenter. I was so excited to see that he was in this movie, and he does not let me down. He's his, his he is a comedic genius, and in spite of this movie's flaws. I will say this, they did not squander the opportunity to make Frank a great character. I think he's endearing. I do like that he is a little clumsy. He feels like he's a good straight man. He feels like sort of your everyday man. But Ken Berry's comedy is is spotlighted so well here because it's not just his dialogue. It's not just his facial expressions, but... It's his physical comedy. When you get to see him fly, when you see him float, something very different than what we had seen when he was doing F Troop. So I really like him in this role. I would agree on all counts. There was a moment when, a brief moment, where I thought maybe they could have cast a younger actor and given the character a little bit more room to grow like if it was a young unconventional scientist that really wanted to prove themselves and wasn't being taken seriously for their outlandish ideas but I think this served the story better because he has to be knowledgeable he has to have seen his fair share of he needed life experience to believe what Jake was telling him. So I definitely think that that worked. And I like that they didn't make this character the bumbling professor either, like a Wayne Zielinski. That's no disrespect to Wayne Zielinski because I love him. But this, there's a time and a place and this was not it. This wasn't it. But I like his interactions with Jake. I thought the cat actor, the animal actor, I thought it was really good. Like, as good as an animal actor can be, but he nailed the sight lines. Like, he... There were two. There were two cats that they used to film. They were both really good. Yeah. Like, I believed that they were actually interacting with Ken Berry as if they were a real actor, like they were a human being. Yeah, even in the scenes, like, where they're... The scene of a million hypotheses. Yep. Jake is in the room just lying on the couch, but... The way that he's so attentive, it's, it's very impressive. It is. Sandy Duncan, our leading lady, as Liz Bartlett. I mentioned before, I thought the age gap was a bit much. She was fine. Um, she was good. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know what else to say about her. She was fine. I agree. Um, 
I really don't have much more to elaborate on with that. It just totally lukewarm on her. She wasn't yeah. bad, but she wasn't great. I'm not going to say, oh, my God, they picked the perfect actress for the perfect role. She could have been any actress. Right. Like, Shelley Long could have been in this. You know, think of any, you know, Goldie Hawn could have been in it. Think of any, you know, any actress who was a name at the time. And I, I mean, maybe that was even a little early for Shelley Long, but you get my point. Like, it, it could have been anybody. She was fine, but hardly, hardly memorable. I actually wish it was Sigourney Weaver, because I think she would have brought so much more to the role. She would have been a little bit more serious. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Harry Morgan is General Stilton. I don't know. I don't know. Like, is he overacting or is he doing what he was supposed to do? I don't know. Maybe that's the brilliance of this performance. Maybe we'll never know. I got nothing else to say on him. Are we going to move on? Yeah. Okay. Ronnie Shell plays the voice of Jake. He's fine. I, I, I did like him. Um, I thought that he gave the cat a good voice. I believe that that voice comes out of that cat. I don't, I don't know what else you want me to say about him. <laughs> no, I think it's believable, but I think the most important thing is what you said before, the rapport that he develops with Frank. I think to achieve that when he's not on screen, you know, I think he's as good as Charles Fleischman as Roger Rabbit as far as the interaction when you're not a part of the set. Yeah, he gave the character a good life. I think he, I think he did. Roddy McDowell. So happy to see Roddy McDowell actually gets a role in a Disney film, not just a hi in bed knobs and broomsticks <laughs> as Stallwood. A little different for Roddy McDowell. I mean, this is a classically trained actor. To see him sort of be the bumbling fool of a villain, a unique take. He was fine. Was he a wasted talent? Yeah. I would have rather seen him as Link. Not that the guy, not that Link was bad, McLean Stevenson. We'll talk about him in a minute. I believe him as Link, but I don't know if I'd buy Roddy McDowell as this bumbling villain. You know who he reminds me of? Because I don't buy him as a villain because he's not mean enough. He reminds me of Hoagie in Pete's Dragon. He's like the henchman, but he's not your main villain. Sure. He does all of the spying for Doc Terminus, but he's not really acting of his own accord. And he is sort of like the bumbling right-hand man because, you know, when he collects the video footage, he's hanging upside down, suspended from a, a balcony. Right. And when they watch the footage, they sit there and they watch it upside down. I mean, I guess you can't just turn the projector over, but... You can't turn the projector over, but I think you can flip the you image. You can flip the reel, couldn't you, or the image? Yeah. I don't, they didn't. Or if it's on film, just load it upside down. Right. Or right side up in this case. Right. McLean Stevenson plays Link. He's probably the best cast one of them all, because as much as I love Ken Berry and as brilliant as I think he is in the movie... Stevenson is Link. Like I just said, I, I would have liked to see McDowell get a shot at Link, but that's because I just don't buy Roddy McDowell as Stallwood. But Stevenson is Link? Like, yeah, that, that guy is a drunk, 
degenerate scientist gambler. I buy it. Until he's let in on the secret and starts helping Jake, I find him insufferable. But I mean that as a compliment because you have successfully annoyed me. Yeah, which was the point. Um, let's talk about the not-so-special effects. Oh, my. Let's start with the credits. Yes, yes. Because they use that very bright green bubble letters, which you see in a ton of sci-fi movies, which worked here, just not at this length. They credit every single person who worked on this film in the beginning of it. And they play the credits over a lot of action. Like, there are things... I mean, the military is there taking the ship away, and you can hardly see it because they're running credits over it. Right. So I feel like they hide a lot of... They hide a lot of story. They hide basically the entire beginning of the movie because they're rolling these credits, and it does not make any sort of sense. No, and I mean... Oddly, that part doesn't drag, though. Yeah. Because they're giving you all of the setup. They're giving you a lot of cool visuals. The credits shouldn't have been that long. But by all intents and purposes, it should have felt like it was dragging, being that they ran the entire length of credits through your opening. Agreed. Um, I know that in Pinocchio... <laughs> they sung a song called I Got No Strings On Me. Frank does. Frank does. Link does. Everybody does. I realize it was the 70s. Did I say this was a year after Star Wars? Because you know this was a year after Star Wars. That's where this is blasphemous. But even if you think about something like Mary Poppins, which was... Almost 15 years years before. Almost, almost. They were using sodium vapor, which was the early green screen technology. Yep. And except for a couple of scenes, which I think had more to do with the lighting than anything else, where you sometimes see the umbrellas fly out of her hand, Mm -hmm. or like when she's with Bert and Jolly Holiday, you really don't see the strings on her. And some of that can be attributed to certain things, as you've pointed out, don't need to be digitally remastered or converted or put on Blu-ray because they don't show the same light. Right. But it just amazes me that a film that much earlier, and that could also be a testament to Walt, that he just demanded perfection and, and it looked it looked amazing, versus here where you can absolutely see strings and it's terrible and it's not just when uh frank is flying around trying to fix the ship that's actually kind of a cool sequence because he's having fun with it he's starting to believe and buy into you know really helping jake and instead of being miffed by the whole thing he's really embracing that he gets to help him so it does distract you enough from the terrible the issue, the issue here with, with this, I'm sorry to interrupt you, you'll agree, it's the way that it's lit because they have spotlights all over the hangar that are supposed to be lighting exactly. up the ship, but they're reflecting off of the strings that are on the stuntman because 
I mean, Ken Berry did some of it, but he didn't do all of it. He did it in close up. Right. But you see the strings on the stunt man. And I mean, that's what I'm talking about. In in the close up shots, the character work takes away from oh, this looks terrible. Yeah. In the wide shots, there's no escaping it. But the scene that I'm thinking of in particular that's even worse is when Jake starts to make Link believe. Yes. And he makes him fly in a seated position, but you can see this, not only the strings, you can see where it's attached to his pant leg. Yep. It's awful. It's bad. It's it's almost as bad as when you see the wire and the battery pack that are attached to Link's collar. Yeah. I mean, listen, I can appreciate the fact that you didn't want to tape a wire to the animal. Yeah. But if you would have just rotated the collar like a quarter of a turn, mm-hmm. you could have hidden it down the animal's rib cage. It didn't need to run down his back. Yeah. And when I say you can see it, I mean like it's sitting like three inches off of his body. It's bad. You know what also looked terrible to me when they do the scenes where Jake freezes things, they take the actual freeze frame of the film, but you see some of the schmear yep. of the movements. Yeah. I mean, I get it. You can't have the actor hold in place for that long. Some of them did. Some of them did it badly. When the general freezes, he does it really badly. But um, I just kind of can't believe they use the still like that or why they chose that particular still like use the frame before it where you don't have the schmear right you got anything else or are we gonna or are we about to give this thing our final review um you know what i didn't talk about this when when we were wrapping up the end of the film because okay. the, the the flight scene is just so bad, but I kind of wish because it it just ends so flat with it's very abrupt. I kind of wish that they like escaped with Jake and they kept him a secret, or like maybe they put him in witness protection and you know Frank, Liz, and Lucy Bell and him become like a little family and they're just like living off the grid or something. Yeah, you go from this airfield to being in a courtroom. Yeah, I got. I just kind of feel like it would have been more fun if he wasn't out in the open anymore. If they had, if they kind of like alfed him a little bit, exactly. Alf, go in the kitchen, exactly. Um, you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? Doesn't matter. I'll let you go first. Okay. Um. So does it hold up? Um. I'm actually going to say yes on this one not in the sense of like hey american film institute where is this timeless classic on your list but as far as the story if you take away the horrible special not special effects as you call them uh you know if you take that out of it if you take away some of the bad dialogue. I think it's a pretty decent sci-fi film. And the fact that we're still sitting here talking about whether or not it's supposed to be a satire or a serious film, I think it does sort of give it like an air of mystery that's 
still engaging today. Do I want to see this remade? No. But I think for what it is, it's kind of just a fun movie. Stop looking at me like that when you love killer clowns from outer space. But I know what that movie is. (laughs) I know what that movie is. I learned something new today. I learned that I can go have a cocktail at Dunkin' Donuts as you sit here and sip that iced coffee because there's no way that a sober person (laughs) is going to sit there and say that this movie holds up. This movie does not hold up at all. The special effects are terrible. It's filled with one trope after another. It's beyond dated. However, I will say the movie is entertaining. I think that there's enough going on with the cast that works. The script isn't that bad, and there's a lot of promise here, but there's so much of it that's loused up that I can't possibly say that the movie is it, it holds up. It it falls victim to every trope in the world. Look no further than every member of the military in this movie. Well, I guess that's why I'm willing to give it a pass because for some reason I still found it entertaining, but if you don't take it seriously, I think you can still sit down and enjoy it. If if you really want me to put my hardcore critic goggles on, then no, it absolutely doesn't hold up. But for once, I don't know why. I actually usually like I'm the tough cookie in this situation. I kind of have a soft spot for this one. Probably because it wasn't the colossal disappointment that I thought it was going to be. You hear cats from outer space, and I was like, oh my God, this is going to be don't look <laughs> under the bed all over again. And I trashed Escape from Wish Mountain. Right, and and I didn't hate Wish Mountain or Don't Look Under the Bed, but I was sort of indifferent on Don't Look Under the Bed. I... I don't I don't know what to do with this movie. I don't, maybe that's it. I think I just appreciate the campiness of it. We want to know what you have to say. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can also email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. News this week coming up in just a moment. But first, a quick break. Hey, guys. My name is Mike. I listen to Jackie and Sean's podcast every week on my commute into work. So I reached out to Jackie, and she helped me put together the perfect getaway. I did a four-night Disney cruise ship, and she was able to answer every question that I threw at her. She put together the perfect dates and an insurance plan that made the whole experience stress-free. She was able to help me with little tips and tricks, like you can get a Mickey Mouse bar delivered to you any time of the day. And I think that was a mistake because now I put about 10, 15 pounds on. I'll definitely be using Jackie again in the future. Thanks for everything. So if you would like to celebrate Disney 65 or Disney World 50, get in touch with me at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. If you do go on the trip and you plan on eating and drinking at the same (laughs) time, you will no longer be able to do so. That is our news of the week. Disney cracking down on the eating and drinking policy because, God forbid, any one person follow a freaking rule. No. Why does everybody need to try and skirt the rules? Good for Disney good for backing their cast members because it's not fair that the onus is put on them 
to enforce all of these policies. And, you know, shame on you. If you're holding a churro, you know, from Main Street USA all the way back to, to the Beast Castle, you can eat the churro in that amount of time. Don't hold it as a prop so that you don't have to wear a mask. It's Agreed. not right. Agreed. And I also have to say, and I'm not afraid to say it, and I've, I've sort of alluded to this in the past, I'm getting really, really, really tired of people just taking pop shots at Disney every chance they get. I agree. Okay. I don't want to sit here and be a complete fanboy because I just tore this movie apart. We're not afraid to be critical of Disney when they get it wrong. And I understand that people are scared. And I understand that people are fearful for themselves, their friends, their family, et cetera, and so forth. Sure. Disney doesn't have to close. Restaurants don't have to close. Shopping malls, small businesses don't have to close. Just don't participate then. Don't participate. And if you are going to participate, follow the rules. Follow the rules. And if you don't want to participate, then stop trying to ruin it for everyone else. This is, I'm, I don't want to have the cancel culture conversation. I really don't. We'll be no, here forever. But I'm having, I'm really getting sick and tired of people. Why aren't, there's not one person that gets really critical of this that I've seen on social media that is sitting there saying, you know what? Shame on those people for putting the cast members and the other guests at risk. Instead, it's close Disney. No, don't close Disney. Don't skirt the rules. Follow the rules. And if you don't want to go to Disney, don't go to Disney. Well, we want to go to Disney. Yeah. And we're going to go in October. Yeah. And so long as the bars are open, we are going to do the monorail with monorail bar crawl. Yes. And we will give you more information on that as we get closer. But I just had to get that off my chest. I'm not saying that to upset anybody. I'm saying that because... I'm tired of nobody except the business being held accountable for the actions of the people that patron it. So I just want to throw that out there. I also want to throw something else out there. I'm going to get on my soapbox for just another moment here while we're on the topic of people think that, the, that Disney should close. Shame on Disney. What I think is... People need to work. Businesses need to be open. There are ways that we can all do our part to help this unfortunate situation, because mm -hmm. it is. The first being, wear your mask, don't skirt the rules. If you can't follow the rules, don't go. However, and I'm not trying to make myself out to be a saint by any stretch of the imagination, but I do want to throw this out there. I went and got an antibody test because I was convinced I had COVID before we even knew what COVID was. Back in December, I tested positive. I have the antibodies. I had COVID at some point. I went and I did the plasma donation because I was made aware that if I went and did a plasma donation, I can save up to three lives. People who are recovering that don't have the antibody are going to get my plasma to help them. Again, I'm not making myself out to be special or to be a superhero because the blood center that I went to was filled with people doing the exact same thing. 
No, but I, I think, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think where you're going with this is that you're willing to step up and do the right thing and try to save a life. And there are people that instead of, if they are inclined to help, actually doing something about it, they will instead just sit there and be critical of other people. Behind the keyboard. Yes. Where it's easy. Bingo. And you don't get pricked. You want to help? Follow the rules. You want to help more? If you've got your antibodies, donate some plasma. Help recovery efforts. And I think the other big thing that people don't realize is that they take Disney for granted. They think that Disney's got all the money in the world and that it's always going to be there. Wrong. They lost so much money with the parks being closed. And also, don't forget, they had movies that did not get released. Eventually, the well's going to run dry. And if it doesn't open now, and if we can't play by the rules and do the right thing, it's not going to be able to weather the storm. No. And that's where I don't blame the business. I blame the people who can't follow the rules. That's what I'm saying. You're going to ruin this for yourself. Disney, there's no guarantee that it's going to be there. That's right. That's right. So even though it's not a small business, it's a very big business, you need to help them help you. 20 years ago, nobody would have said Sears would be gone. Guess what? Sears is gone. Okay? It's, it's the dawn of a new day. Please, I implore you. Just follow the rules. That's it. That's all you have to do. If you just follow the rules, this whole thing can be made a lot better. And with that, we promise not to be so preachy for our 100th episode. We're no, going to have fun next week. That We're going to have a great time. I'm done with the preaching. You know, we've been sitting on this for months. We've tried not to talk about this nonsense, but I just got to the point of uh, I was tired of it and I had to get it off my chest. So thank you all for listening to me. And I also thank you for joining us this and every week on Monorail Radio. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monorail Radio. Email us, monorailradio at gmail.com. Check out monorailradio.com. Links to all of the social media, links to all of the podcast platforms. You can listen to the podcast directly through the website if you want. Our contact information is there. And please don't forget, you can always... Give us a review on iTunes. They're greatly appreciated, and we always love to hear from you. We will be back next week, episode number 100. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of. <laughs>